May it please the court. My name is Chang Lau. I am an assistant state public defender, and I represent the appellant Colton Bocher. The sole issue before this court today is whether district courts possess the authority to order restitution for damages that result from a crime that a defendant is charged with but not convicted of. This court should hold that the Minnesota restitution statutes do not give district courts such authority, and it should reverse the district court's restitution order in this case. In December of 2014, Mr. Bocher and his two friends were each arrested and charged with burglary and arson crimes for an incident that occurred in a cabin property in North Minneapolis. Mr. Bocher's two friends both pleaded guilty to burglary and arson crimes and were ordered to pay restitution for their part in the incident. Mr. Bocher elected to go to trial and was convicted of burglary for trespassing and committing theft on the cabin property. The jury, however, did not find him guilty of arson. The district court nevertheless ordered that he pay the victim and their insurance company approximately $81,000 for the fire damage resulting from the arson. The district court erred by ordering restitution for the fire damage. Counsel, uh, in your view, would the district court have been able to order restitution for the burning of the cabin if there had been testimony at trial that it was done to cover up the burglary? I think in that case, Your Honor, it would be uh, closer. Um, I, to, to briefly answer your, your question, yes, because I think that would be more clearly a result of the crime of conviction, which is burglary. Um, again, Your Honor, I, again, I, 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 that is a closer case than our case. But um, despite the fact that he is not convicted of arson, in that case, if the evidence is that to further the trespass, which is an element of the arson, he com or excuse me, to further the trespass, which is an element of the burglary, he committed arson, um, then I would, I would argue, yes, under our interpretation of the restitution statutes, the court could order restitution for those damages. Counsel, can we infer that the arson was done to cover up the evidence of the burglary, which provides the necessary causation? No, Your Honor, I don't think we can uh, draw that inference uh, simply because there's no evidence that the, the fire or the arson was committed in furtherance of the burglary. Um, if you look at the trial testimony from uh, the, the two co-defendants and the, uh, the fire investigator and the police officers, um, there's no indication that any of the three individuals uh, committed arson or burned down the property in order to commit the burglary which was the, the trespass and the theft. So is the test you're proposing that it has to be in furtherance of the burglary? Well, no, Your Honor. Uh, the, the test I'm proposing comes straight from the, the restitution statute. It has to be a direct result of, a natural consequence of the burglary. Okay. So let's try this hypothetical situation. Let's change the facts a little bit. Guy breaks into a cabin to steal some stuff, and then um, one item he finds is a baseball bat. He likes the baseball bat and he takes the bat and smacks it into a TV screen, ruins the TV. Is restitution available for the smashed television in connection as a direct result of the burglary? No, Your Honor. I, I think um, in, in that case it would be similar to our case um, where 
the state could have charged a separate crime in, in that scenario, and it chose not to. And there is, if there's no evidence that the, the smashing of the television with the baseball bat was done in furtherance of the burglary, which presumably in, in that scenario is a trespass But I thought the, the, test, the test isn't in furtherance of. The test is a direct result of. Correct, Your Honor. Didn't the smashing of the television come about as a direct result of the burglary? Well, I think we're moving into a but-for test in that case. If we had not, or if, if that individual in your hypothetical had not chosen to commit burglary, then uh, that the smashing of the television would not have occurred. That sounds like a but-for test to me, and in this court in Pabaliki clearly uh, held that a but-for test is not the appropriate one in determining whether or not restitution is All right, is let's change the facts a little bit further. Somebody breaks into a cabin, and in the course of committing the theft, uh, assembling things to steal, he sits down on the sofa and starts smoking a cigarette and doesn't put the cigarette out. The sofa, the sofa later starts on fire. The cabin burns. It, can the uh, cabin owner recover for the loss of the cabin from the cigarette? Yes, Your Honor. But a, yes? A, 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 couple, a couple answers to that question. One, no, not under the restitution statute. Um, because that would not be criminal conduct. Um, and so restitution, the purpose of restitution is to make someone whole for criminal conduct. And if simply putting down a cigarette negligently and lighting a, a place on fire, if that were shown at trial, if there was no allegation that the, the fire were intentional, um, then the, the victim in that case should not be allowed to uh, recover under the restitution statute. Now, alternatively... Because the fire isn't a direct result of the burglary? That is correct, Your Honor. So, the, the alternative answer to that, um, the, the rule we're proposing is that a court is without legal authority to order restitution for economic loss that is a result of a crime that the state does not or fails to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. How does your rule, the rule that you're proposing we write, how does that square with uh, Terpstra? Well, we would argue that Terpstra in, is inabsolute in this case because Terpstra deals specifically with a specific type of crime where an element uh, specifies monetary parameters. And also, Terpstra is inabsolute because it deals with uh, an amount of restitution and not whether or not the district court has legal authority to order restitution. No, I'm sorry, you're going to have to help me. I don't, I don't quite follow. I mean, Terpster was, the jury did not find the defendant guilty of the larger amount of theft, but we still said the district court could award restitution in the larger amount, the, the larger amount that was ple pleaded in the complaint. That's correct, Your Honor. So in, in, in Terpstra, this court held that the district court could find by preponderance of the evidence uh, a lower standard of proof than the beyond of reasonable doubt standard for the amount of restitution, despite the fact that the jury failed to find beyond a reasonable doubt that same amount. Because under subdivision three of 611A045, district courts are allowed to determine the amount and type of restitution by the greater weight of the evidence, by that lower standard. And so we do not have a similar situation here. The greater amount was a separate crime. So isn't it very similar to this case? I mean, in Terpstra, the defendants were not found guilty of theft of the larger amount, which was a separate count in Correct. the complaint. 
just like your client wasn't found guilty of arson, which is a separate count in the complaint. Nevertheless, in Terpstra, we said the district court could award restitution on the count of the complaint for which the defendant was not convicted. So why can't we do the same thing, say the same thing sure. here in terms of the district court's discretion? Well, because the, the, the plain language of the restitution statute does not support the application of a preponderance standard in, in this case. Because again, we do not have a crime specifying monetary parameters. I, I understand the court's, how, how the court might view the uh, higher dollar amount as a separate crime of theft. However, I would submit, and this is what we argue in our brief, that the restitution amount ordered by the district court in that case was for the theft uh, for the, the range between $500 and $2,500. The court simply chose to, that, that was the crime, and the court simply chose to order restitution in a higher amount under a lower standard. Which does, I mean, and that. So is it sort of a lesser included theory then? I mean, theft of $500 is, in effect, a lesser included of theft of $2,500? I mean, is that sort of where you're going? Whereas arson is not a lesser included of burglary? Uh, no, Your Honor. Let me try to explain this better. Um, so the, in Terpstra, the defendant was convicted of theft for losses between $500 and $2,500. That was the crime of conviction. Now, the district court looked at that and saw that the, the, um, the amount by preponderance of the evidence was greater than $2,500. And whether you call that a different crime or whether you call that amount deriving from the crime that the defendant was convicted of, uh, the district court had the authority to do that under 611A045 by that lower standard. Does it matter under the theft by swindle statute that the element of proving theft by swindle is the same and the only differentiation in terms of the money that's specifically called out in the statute is prison time and fines? And so the only differential that more than 2,500 or less than 2,500 is how much prison time you're going to spend or how much of a fine you're going to spend, but it doesn't go to the heart of what theft by swindle is? Right, Your Honor. So, yes, I think that is relevant in considering what the crime of conviction is. And so in that case, the crime of conviction is effectively theft by swindle. And be it for $2,500 or $10,000, the underlying crime is the same. So, it's, so going back to the Chief's earlier question, what we really have here, we wouldn't call it, we call it maybe a quasi-lesser included offense. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of uh, claim, and, and that's why Terpster is different. Right, and I, I would argue that even if we look at the higher restitution amount as a separate crime, Terpstra is a distinct case, simply because 611A-045 allows for a finding of a higher amount of restitution under a lower but, standard. But for purposes of your argument, we wouldn't even need to, to get into that discussion because your argument relies on the statutory language, which talks about result. Correct. And so independent of what might be going on in Terpstra, here these are two very different kinds of criminal claims, cr criminal uh, charges, and the defendant in this case, um, I mean, the, the actions did not, did not result directly or otherwise uh, in the um, 
claim for restitution here. That is exactly our position, Your Honor. And so in, in State versus Riggs, this court very clearly defined what as a result of means. Uh, it means that uh, an, as a natural consequence, effectively. I mean, this court looked to the, the plain dif dic dictionary definition of that term. And so if we look at what the crime of conviction is in this case, which I think the, the lower courts and the state concede we're looking at the result of the crime of conviction. Um, the crime of conviction is trespass and theft. And so what is the natural consequence of trespass and theft? That is the cost associated with uh, obtaining access to a property wrongfully. And but counsel, taking, as I understood it, you said that um, in Justice Lillehog's hypothetical, the smashing of the TV would not um, be a close enough connection. Explain a little bit more why, because that seems to me like that's, for theft, I mean, it's, it's, it's much closer. Sure, Your Honor. Um, I think it could not be said that the smashing of a, the TV, the losses related to the TV, were a result of the burglary because the burglary okay, involves but what if you, a trespass what if the burglar, and the, what if the taking burglar comes the into the cabin and then uh, bumps into the TV and it falls over and shatters? Well, that would be closer to the cigarette scenario but, that Justice Lillehoff But aren't Lillehoff we really proposed. slicing it really thin then? Yes, Your Honor. I don't think that necessarily we are. I think the legislature is by by suggesting or by, by requiring, by providing under 611A04 and 611A045 that the costs associated with restitution have to result from the crime of conviction. And so it would require a, a determination uh, by district courts as to what results from the crime of conviction. But I can say with confidence in this case, given as uh, Justice Anderson pointed out that the two crimes are very different, that the arson, the fire damage, did not result from the burglary in this Counsel, case. Counsel, let me, let me ask you um, this. If we interpret as a result of the offense as to apply only to the offense of conviction, what happens in a guilty plea case? Like, let's say that your client, in, in an unusual spree for him, burglarized like nine cabins in the same night. It's not that far off from the facts of this case. <laughs> Let's say 22 then. Okay. That's, and, a, little, that's uh, a little bit more outside the room. And never has done anything else uh, criminal in, in his life. And he wants to plead guilty. And the state would like to, to a, a lesser number of burglaries. But under that rule, would the prosecution have to charge him with all 22 burglaries to be able to get that restitution? No, Your Honor, and I would direct uh, this court's attention to the, its opinion in State versus Kennedy. And in State versus Kennedy, this court effectively held that a defendant can waive his right to have the state to prove that restitution is appropriate. Um, and that makes sense, really. I mean, if you consider the number of rights that an individual waives as a, as a result of a guilty plea, it, it seems fair to allow an individual to, to waive their right to have the state um, prove restitution is appropriate for the benefit of obtaining a, a beneficial plea agreement. Counsel, how does your argument square with footnote five in Riggs? I think in Riggs, 
the issue was not square, this issue that we raise now was not squarely presented. Um, and again, in, in Riggs, I think there's reliance upon Terpstra. I think Terpstra is not completely opposite or does not undermine the rule that we're proposing in this case. I mean, we say specifically in footnote five, unlike the dissent of Justice Page, we do not interpret this language to mean the offense of conviction. Right. And to the extent this court reads that as a holding, um, rejecting the language that the offense is the offense of conviction, we would ask the court to reconsider that in light of our more in-depth analysis in this case. Um, I would argue that, again, given Hohenwald's definition Be before you leave Riggs does it does it matter that Riggs was a guilty plea case I would argue yes and no I mean yes in the sense that given it's a guilty plea case it's different from the present case but no in the sense that in that case seemingly and I don't have the full record the defendant did not waive his right to have the state prove a certain amount of restitution. Um, so, you know, it, it, in, if given that case, I don't know how I would necessarily argue it. But in this case, again, we do not have a guilty plea. We do not have Mr. Bocher waiving his right to have the state prove that restitution is appropriate in this case. Um, in so, fact, oh, can, can I just clarify? So. Your argument in terms of the natural consequences or as a result is burglary has these two elements you've got to prove essentially, the entering onto the property and the, and the theft in this case. Correct, Your Honor. A felony in general, but of course. It's, it's focused on theft in this case. And it has to be the natural consequence of that crime in general or the natural consequence of the crime, the kind of the specifics of the entry on property in this case. And, and part of my issue is your answer to Justice Chudich's first question, like if, if the if they set a fire to cover up the burglary, I thought you said that that actually would be a direct consequence or, or a, a, a natural consequence. I'd argue that's a closer call than in our case. I mean, I, I think in, in that case, there's some argument to be made that the fire damage results from the burglary because there's a link between the so we looked at the theft. So we looked at the specific circumstances of the crime in question here, and you're and your point is that there's no proof that that was actually the case Correct, in this case, but we could look to the specific, the courts could look to the specific act as opposed to, in hype general's terms, is a fire a natural consequence of trespassing on a property? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Um, I Counsel, if I may, what weight do we give? I mean, when I look at the Court of Appeals opinion, um, they talk about it being the two being factually intertwined, and they almost do, for lack of a better term, almost the same behavioral incident. I mean, that's the feel I got from reading their opinion. And maybe that's not quite the right test, but it did seem relevant to me um, when the court said that the fire was started during the burglary, so that there's, there's some connection, but possibly a causal connection, but what's your response to that? Well, I, I would ask that this court reject the test that the, the Court of Appeals applied in this case because it violates the plain language of the restitution statutes. It violates the plain language of 611A045, which requires that the 
restitution amounts result from the crime of conviction. Not that they're related to, not that you know, there's another crime that arose out of the same behavioral incident as the crime. It must result from the crime. And so to say that there are uh, factual overlaps or there's a, a temporal similarities between the two offenses, that is not what the, the restitution statutes say. And so that test would violate the plain language of the statute. Is the direct result test essentially similar to a proximate cause test in tort? I couldn't necessarily tell you, Your Honor. I'm not, I don't, I don't practice in, in civil law. Um, but I, I suppose that that would be closer than a related to test. And that would be closer than a but-for test. Well, the reason I'm asking is the district court found as a matter of fact that the arson arose out of the burglary committed by the defendant. And how do we review that finding? Is it a question of fact? Is it a question of law? Is it a mixed question of fact and law? How do we review that? Well, I'm not entirely sure what the Court of Appeals was holding. I'm not talking about the Court of Appeals. I'm talking about the district court. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, excuse me, Your Honor. Um, I'm not entirely sure uh, what the court or the, the district court was holding when it said that it, it arose out of the, the same set of circumstances. But again, uh, I, I would argue that that is a, uh, an error in its sort of determination of the law, in its ruling on the law. Uh, that, that's not how you decide whether or not restitution is ordered, simply that, that this conduct or this crime arose out of the same So arose out of is the wrong test? Correct, Your Honor. Why is that? Because that isn't what the the restitution statute state. It's direct result. It's a result of. And so if we want to apply, or if the, if the, the legislature wanted to apply a 609-035-like test, arose out of the same behavioral incident, it could have, but it didn't. And even if it had, I don't know that in this case we would be able to determine that the two crimes arose out of the same behavioral incident because these are both specific intent crimes. And Council, we do not so have, oh, I'm sorry, finish your no, thought. And we do not have a shared criminal motive. So would you characterize then what the district, sounds like you, you would characterize what the district court did and what the court of appeals did as kind of an arose out of test. Is that, is that your? Correct, Your Honor. Okay. And uh, the sort of related yeah. to the crime yeah. of conviction. I mean, it seems like the, both the court of appeals and the district court agree that it has to come from, it has to derive from somehow the crime of conviction. But they apply this, this related to test right. or this factual right. inter, intertwined test that so, goes against what the restitution statutes say. Counsel, let me ask you another question kind of going to the end. Do you agree that your, if we agree with your position, what is the resolution? Is it a remand? And I guess in connection with that, do, would you concede that your client is responsible for some restitution because of the property that was stolen and damaged, and so is, it seems to me what needs to happen if we were to agree with you is it would go back for the district court to recalculate your client's restitution. Is that how Correct, you see Your Honor. it? Correct, Your Honor. I mean, because at the end of the day, Mr. Bocher was convicted of a crime, just not the crime of arson. And what happens to, help me with, the other two um, defendants pled guilty to aiding and abetting arson, right? And, correct. correct? Correct, Your Honor. 
And my understanding is that the district court held the three of them jointly and severally liable uh, for the arson. Correct. I guess what I'm getting at is if we agree with you, what happens? Are the other two folks left? To, are they holding the bag then on the arson? Yes, Your Honor, because they've confessed their guilt to arson and they've been convicted of arson, related crimes. It was uh, aiding an offender in arson. But they entered guilty pleas and they were in fact convicted of that crime. So it is not a stretch by any means to, to say that the fire damage resulted, at least in part from their role uh, in that offense. So if the court does not have any further questions, I would ask that it reverse the district court's restitution order and remand this case. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Uh, Ms. Wanta. Good morning, Your Honors. Um, I'm Vicki Wanta. I am a, is this mic okay? Here. I'm a prosecutor out of St. Louis County up in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, it is the state's position that any damage that can be proven by a preponderance of the evidence to be a direct result of the criminal conduct for which one is convicted must be included as part of the restitution owed to a victim. This rule makes sense, not in just this particular case, but in similar cases with similar issues. Um, as Your Honor um, somewhat already stated, um, if we pretend for a second that Mr. Boucher was never charged with the arson um, and was charged and convicted simply of a burglary, and that during the course of that burglary, a fire was accidentally started, either by maybe lighting a cigarette and setting it on a couch or bumping a candle while taking out property from this cabin. In that scenario, I believe he would be expected and ordered to pay restitution for the fire damage that was caused during the course of that burglary. So I'm having trouble with the legal theory here. You need to help me with this because that sounds like but-for causation, which we rejected in Pulubiki or however that's pronounced. Uh, I mean, your, your argument here seems to say that the test is result, which is what the statutory language provides, but what the test really is, is if there's any kind of chain of causation at all, the defendant's responsible for restitution. That seems not to be what the law is. Help me with this. Well, Your Honor, um, the but for and proximate cause and different types of tests you guys had brought up, um, it's, it's the state's position that um, if you're looking at damage that is arising out of criminal conduct, um, that 
that needs to be included as part of the restitution. I mean, it, I, your position seems to be the, you know, the same as the Court of Appeals, which has this test about interweaving facts. And I mean, I mean, basically, if it all kind of occurred at the same time, then the defendant's responsible. And there's no question here, I, I don't think, that the, I mean, the, there's pretty persuasive evidence that the defendant was involved in this arson. Jury chose not to convict him. Jury has that right. Um, and, and certainly the victim would be, un, the victim's going to be unhappy with the result. But I look at this and say, um, there's no, there's no um, link, there's no causation here. So wh why is that wrong? Well, Your Honor, um, there was some talk about um, whether something can be a natural consequence or what's a natural consequence of a burglary. And um, regarding that link, I think that the idea of what a natural consequence is, is not necessarily the same as what's a predictable consequence. I don't think those need to be the same thing. Um, when you're thinking about criminal conduct, um, in, in this case a burglary, there really is any, anything is possible to be a consequence of someone's burglary and criminal actions. Um, and that means that any well, sort no, of... Counsel, you, you've lost me. So you're, dra you're drawing a distinction between the a natural consequence, which is what we set out in rigs, and predictable. And the difference is what? Well, part of the... And why would we do that? I'm yeah, sorry? Tell me what the difference is and, and why would we do that? Yeah. I think that um, when someone's thinking of this natural consequence of the burglary, we're kind of talking about about, um, or it was brought up about, um, well, you're trespassing onto the property and anything else that happens beyond that is not going to be a natural consequence of a burglary. But it should be more of what's the consequence of someone's criminal conduct during the course of that burglary. And that could be... What do you mean by criminal conduct? Can you define that for me? Are you talking about the elements of the crime? or just that they were doing bad stuff on the property? What, what, they, what, what do you mean by criminal conduct? It's what they were doing during the course of that burglary. So a, a burglary can really cover, it's not necessarily theft. Um, you know, it could cover any sort of crime that's being committed. It was on charged with theft this time, though. In this case, yes. Yeah. Um, but to limit, to limit restitution to only something that someone was stealing in this property, really seems to cut out a large amount but of... But you could have charged them with, with burglary and related to arson, right? Yes. So wh why would we not follow what you decided to charge? Why would we look beyond what you, I mean, that was your decision to charge for theft, not arson, right? It was, Your Honor. So why would we look beyond that? Well, it was a bad... I, it was a poor charging choice well, uh, on my part. Okay. I mean, it, it was. So how does that help me? But during the course of this burglary, um, anyone could have gone rogue. There's three defendants who are going in and out of this. Anyone could have gone rogue and decided to um, either start the fire. They could have decided to um, graffiti the place up, and, and now you have criminal damage to property versus just stealing items. I mean, there's a lot of different, and if someone was in the house, they could have decided to assault them. There's so many different crimes that could have occurred, or so much different conduct that could have occurred during the course of this burglary, that to say that 
this is a natural consequence of a set plan for a burglary versus this kind of crime being a natural consequence for a burglary. Except in this case, you actually charged with burglary related to theft. Yes. And so why shouldn't we limit ourselves to the natural consequences of what you actually charged? I don't think that you should limit it to the natural, the natural consequence of the theft-related burglary. Because... Um, because what the statute is saying, at least my interpretation of what the statute is saying, is that um, any damage that's a direct result of that criminal conduct should be included in restitution. But you keep using the word criminal conduct, but switching the definition of criminal conduct. That's why I asked what you mean by criminal conduct. Is criminal conduct the crime you charged, or is criminal conduct any other bad stuff that they did, even though you didn't charge them with it? So the jury never had to make any findings with their conclusions with regard to that conduct. I think that criminal conduct is, um, I think it's more encompassing than just the narrow definition of what was charged. And I charged it a little oddly. The jury did have to try to make findings regarding the arson and his conduct regarding the arson. They ended up being hung on that. Um, but, but during the... Um, what the evidence is showing is that, by a preponderance of the evidence, this, arse, this fire damage, and I think it should be referred more to fire damage re regarding the restitution piece of this, not necessarily arson, but just fire damage in general. Um, this fire damage was caused during the course of this burglary. And <laughs> that's, that's shown pretty clearly. Um, we had uh, Mr. Clenard and Mr. Dunham um, testifying, albeit rather weakly, but that Mr. Boucher was part of this arson, part of this fire damage. Um, and there was a trail camera set up as well showing, um, it was facing the cabin directly and it was showing um, these three going in and out of the cabin. And then you can see the cabin, the windows like get lit up with fire. Um, and Co you can Council, see- can I just interrupt you to ask you, did the district court here base the um, the restitution on its own preponderance finding that uh, Mr. How do you say it? Butcher? Butcher? I, I believe he pronounces it Boucher. Boucher, sorry. Boucher aided and abetted arson. I believe that the district court um, made its finding um, based off of the facts that it had sat through during the trial saying that um, I, I don't want to I don't want to say that I don't want to speak for um, Judge Harris saying that he was saying that he believed Mr. Boucher was guilty of aiding and abetting arson, um, but I do believe that the, from his role, the facts laid out during this trial showed by a preponderance of the evidence um, that this was a that this restitution should be owed because it was a result of this criminal conduct. I know I'm, I'm probably not defining that very well, but of these three, three these three gentlemen's conduct during that burglary when this fire was started. Counsel, let me understand what the state thinks is the test. Isn't the test whether the damage is a direct result of the crime? Um, that's, how, that's how I'm interpreting this. Okay, so, all right, that's the state's position. It's the, the direct result test. Uh, yes. All right. It's not just result, it needs to be a direct result, correct? 
Yes. So it's not but for causation. It needs to be a direct result. But I, I added, I, there is a caveat that it needs to be a direct result of the criminal conduct for which right. one is convicted. Right. So we're, we're agreed it's not but for its direct result. Isn't that essentially proximate cause? It, it, I, I think that kind of is what it is. Um, I do believe that even if it was a, a but for test. Um, but it's not. We're agreed it's not but for. Yes, but even if, it's, even if it was, or the proximate cause test, I think we end up at the same result either way. I appreciate that. So now, did the district court apply the direct result test? I believe so. Where? The, the key sentence to me is the last one in the section saying, the court finds by a preponderance of the evidence that the arson arose out of the burglary. So arose out of, that can mean any of a number of things. It's, there's no arose out of test. It's a direct result test. So how, how can we tell that the district court actually applied the right legal standard and didn't, didn't come up with a new one, which is a rose out of? Because a rose out of can be but for, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah. It, it could be a but for test with a rose out of. Um, so we, we just don't know. I suppose that language, I suppose saying arose out of maybe wasn't as, um, I suppose that's not as clear as it probably should have been. Well, the district court also at addendum 13 says, quote, the arson was a direct result of the burglary. And I think that what that is in reference to is, again, this, the criminal conduct of this burglary. Because it, it's, it's very clear that this fire started during this burglary. And again, I, I don't think in, in this particular case, the arson charge is off the table. Um, I don't think it's right to focus on whether or not Mr. Boucher needs to be convicted of arson for him to be found um, liable for restitution of damages. I think it's better to focus on there was fire damage done during this burglary. And I stand corrected by the Chief Justice. The district court used both the rose out of and did say that the, the uh, arson was the direct result of the burglary. But, counsel, doesn't your position fly in the face of, of the restitution statute? I mean, 611A.04 talks about restitution being um, uh, uh, possible uh, uh, if the offender is convicted. And the only thing that he was convicted of here was the burglary. And your last position, it seems to me, is contrary to that especially since, as I understand it, um, the parties have all agreed that the conviction at issue is the burglary. That's how the district court handled it. That's how the Court of Appeals handled it. And as I understand the briefs, that's how the parties have handled it. We've all, that you've all assumed that the conviction at issue is the burglary conviction. Yes, Your Honor. Um, I'm not... I, there needs to be a conviction in place for restitution to even be considered, obviously. Um, and that conviction here is burglary, right? Yes. But in determining, um, I, I think it can be broken down into three steps to determine um, if damage should be included as part of restitution based on the statutes and case law. Counsel, if I understand you, you're saying that there is 
He was convicted of burglary, which is criminal conduct. And under the criminal conduct, he's responsible for what happened, not the but for, but that because there was criminal conduct for which he was convicted, and if the um, damage is close enough to that criminal conduct or is a direct result of it, then he is responsible in the restitution, correct? So I'm, if, if we gave you the hypothetical of that there was graffiti or if somebody, um, as Justice Lillehog said, took a baseball bat and whacked the TV, under your theory, the district court could and likely would order the restitution as a direct result of the crime, which was burglary. Yes, Your Honor. I think that's I think that's phrasing it very well as to what I'm trying to get at. I'm sorry if I'm being confusing. What are, what are your three steps? So first, there must be a conviction um, which will trigger restitution. Second, the the loss, the damage, must be a direct result of the criminal conduct of that conviction. And third, the amount of restitution must be proven by a preponderance of the evidence. So what if what if someone is convicted of writing a bad check, right? So they, uh, or, or, well, no, let's do it this. What if they take $1,000 from somebody and that person was going down to his stockbroker to buy $1,000 of this stock that he thinks is gonna take off? And then he loses $1,000, can't buy the stock, the stock actually takes off and he would have made $10,000. Is, is the defendant responsible for the $10,000 loss? I mean, it's, it's the consequence of the, of the criminal conduct of stealing $1,000. I'm sorry, can you rephrase that one more time? I yeah, so you, a guy's go, going down to his stockbroker, and he's carrying $1,000 in his wallet to buy a stock, and someone steals that money. So he can't go, he doesn't have the money to go to the stockbroker, and it turns out that that stock, you know, over the next you know, couple of weeks goes to, would be worth $10,000. Is he, is he responsible for the consequences of that? I don't believe so. The, and why um, is that? Well, I view a stock as sort of a gamble. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's such an unknown, that's a, that's a gamble, really, as to whether a stock is going to take off or not. Um, and I suppose that'd be similar if he was on the way to the casino as well and lost his money and he would have won a jackpot or something. I, I think that's too much of a what if and it's too much of a gamble to say that that, to say that, that stock loss, um, that the, the defendant who stole that money would be responsible for him also not making money in, this, in that st particular stock. Um, I, I think that... But there's proximate cause there, right? I don't know. That one, that, I, I'm not sure. That one's kind of hard to say because, like I said, the stock market is such a, a fluid system. I, I feel like if, I feel like if, let's say that there were um, a couple of people who went and stole that man's money on the way to him putting it in the stock, um, into the stocks. And one of them, and the plan was to steal the money, and then one steals the money, and the other one just randomly decided to punch him in the face and give him a black eye. Probably not a um, predictable situation there if they were just kind of initially planning to just take the money, but now they're also on the hook for 
any well, medical so expenses. So what if he's going to the store to buy medicine for his kid and he has 50 bucks in his pocket to buy that medicine and the money's stolen, he can't buy the medicine and the kid gets super sick and incurs all kinds of medical bills? Is, he, is that person responsible for the, for the medical bills? That's, a pretty, that's not gambling. Nope, that's not gambling. Um, hmm. I still don't think in that case there would be any sort of criminal. Um, your test seems to be that wherever, uh, your test seems to be that as long as there's some kind of an argument that some other crime was committed, even if he wasn't convicted of it, um, there should be restitution. I mean, no. the jury here didn't convict of arson, but, but, and nobody asked the district court to make factual findings about what happened here, but in the context of restitution, the district court did that. And that's enough in this case to hold him responsible for arson-related damages. No, I, I don't think that restitution needs to be um, owed if someone's not convicted of a, of a separate crime. I don't think that's necessarily what the situation is. Cause I, don't, I don't think that's right. Restitution needs to be owed if damage occurred during the course of the crime for which one was convicted. My, my question wasn't a model of clarity. There were enough double negatives there to confuse everybody, including me. So let me, let me take another run at this. Um, you seem to be suggesting, and you should speak into the microphone, by the way, so that, so that um, we, everybody can hear you. Um, your, 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 um, your position seems to be that if there's some additional criminal conduct that occurred, even if it wasn't ultimately proven, that's enough to have causation in this context? In this particular context, yes. That's because, uh, again... And so isn't that... So, so I go back to what we said in Polubicki, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and we talked about... I mean, the court was clearly worried about, um, about it being too attenuated from the original cause. How do we, how do we figure out what, where to draw the line? Clearly the line has to be drawn somewhere. We need to provide guidance to courts and dealing with restitution orders, where do we draw the line? And how do we draw that line? How to, how to draw the line between where, this, where that I mean, link between is? Between where restitution should be ordered and where it can't be ordered because um, there, there, was, there was no um, ultimate conviction of that crime. You're, you're, I think it's a. I think it's. I think it's a very um, factual. I think it's a case by case basis. Um, in this, and I, it's hard to make an overall blanket rule about where that line is because I do think it depends on the case. So, if it depends on the case, is it a question of? Do we review it as a question of fact, a question of law, or a mixed question of law and fact? What's our scope of review on the district courts? Well, and one of its findings that the arson was a direct result of the burglary. It seems to me that a question of fact would probably be more appropriate to see if that fire damage was a direct result of Mr. Boucher and his co-defendants burglarizing this cabin, at least from, from 
how I'm seeing this, that seems to be the more appropriate way to go. Um, because I think that this, this particular case is very fact-heavy on trying to prove that link. So if it's a question of fact, is that a question for the judge or for the jury? For restitution purposes, it's for the judge. Why? The restitution statute, um, 611A045, um, seems to be lending that to the judge, um, given that preponderance of the evidence standard and what they need to do to determine the proper amount of restitution owed to a victim. So it does seem that that goes to a judge's discretion. So what if there's a, what if someone is charged with murder and assault and the jury finds the person guilty of assault, so hitting, you know, <laughs> hitting someone, but can't reach a verdict on the murder? Could, you know, you, could you have an OJ kind of civil case where the judge can still order restitution for the loss of life? Yes, I, I think so. Even though the jury found that the, there was not enough evidence to prove murder? Well, maybe your answer is yes, that's fine. Because the because it's a preponderance of the evidence standard rather than a guilt beyond a reasonable doubt standard. Yes. And, I mean, obviously the, the reason that even that preponderance of the evidence standard exists is because if, if a victim did want to pursue it civilly, it'd be the same. They want to keep that even across the board. Is that right, though? I mean, is it preponderance of the evidence that the defendant is guilty of a crime, or is it preponderance of the evidence on the amount of restitution the victim, the amount of damages the victim suffered? That's only regarding the amount of damage that, uh, that is resulting from a conviction. Um, so what do we make of the fact that there actually was a finding by the jury here that he did not commit, or at least they couldn't reach that they, he, the, the, a conclusion that he didn't commit arson? What, what do we do with that fact constitutionally in this case? As opposed to just a matter of fact. Um... Do you mean regarding how to handle... I mean, is someone being punished for a crime that he wasn't convicted of? Well, Your Honor, I, I don't think that restitution should be considered punishment, though. It's something that's constitutionally owed to a victim. It shouldn't be considered an expansion of a criminal sentence um, by any means. I'm out of time. Sorry. Please finish your answer. Um, I, I don't think that... Restitution isn't meant to punish someone for their, or to expand someone's criminal sentence. It really is just a separate entity that's owed to a victim. It's part of the sentencing process though, right? You can, I'm sorry, gee, is that okay if she answers that? Okay. It is. It's part of the sentencing process, but it's not, um, like I said, I think it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a separate entity based versus a criminal punishment of criminal consequence. Thank you, counsel. Your time has expired. Mr. Lau, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Thank 
Council, may I ask you a question as a point of clarity? Of course. Are you, is, there, is the rule that you're proposing saying that the defendant would have to be convicted of the crime as in arson or convicted of a crime that can be direct, directly related to the loss? The latter, Your Honor. There, there needs to be uh, conviction. The, the, the losses have to directly result from the crime of conviction. So if in this case, Mr. Bocher had gone to trial on both the burglary and the arson and a jury returned a guilty verdict for the arson, then yes, we would concede that obviously the fire damage could be ordered as restitution by the district court. As a result of that. But what I'm saying is that there would be, in, you have acknowledged that there is instances where he doesn't have to be necessarily convicted of arson if he is convicted of burglary and there's something more that's more, more of a direct result in, in your definition, he could still be held liable restitution-wise for that without well, being convicted of arson. Again, I would say that is a closer case. If it can be proven that the arson was done for the purposes of furthering um, the burglary so that it could be said, so that the district court could find that the fire damage resulted from the burglary, then yes, restitution could be ordered in that case. But that's not what we Counsel, have here. but before you get going on what we do have here, um, are we in agreement as apparently the state is that the test is direct result, which is essentially proximate cause? Yes, Your Honor. All right. I mean, based yeah. on my understanding of proximate cause, and I will concede that I don't have a wide... Well, I mean, this is essentially a civil proceeding under the rubric of the state. I mean, it's a victim getting restitution. So it's, there's very much a civil element to it. Um, there is, Your Honor, but I have to say that restitution is not simply a part of the sentencing process. As it's structured in Minnesota, it is part of a sentence. Right. Under 60910, it is part of a criminal sentence. Sure. So we are still within the criminal legal realm when we're right. talking if, about imposing the, restitution. I appreciate that, counsel. But if the test is direct result or proximate cause, is that, I want to go back to the question I asked you earlier now, how do we review that? The district court, although the district court said several different things, it did say that the, the fire damage was a direct result of the burglary. Do we review that as clearly erroneous? Is it a question of fact? Do we review it um, as a de novo, as a question of law? What's our scope of review on direct result? I would argue that it would be a mixed question of both law and fact. We would look at the district court's restitution order in this case and look at what test it applied. And that would be the legal question, whether or not the test applied was the correct one. And we submit that it was not. And then we well, look it did at apply the, the direct. It did apply the direct result test in one sentence in the order, and then it used the phrase arose out of in another sentence in the order. Correct, Your Honor. And, and I would argue that simply using the terminology does not mean that that is what the district court actually did in light of the fact that it used evidence that seemed to show that it was, one, applying a preponderance standard, which is under subdivision three which of 611A045, which this court very clearly stated in Gavnik does not apply to, to challenges to the legal authority to order restitution. Now, two, the, the district court also fairly clearly applied a related to the crime of conviction test. Are the findings of fact that we need to defer to 
the actual findings of things that Mr. Betcher did as opposed to the conclusion that it was a direct result? So, I mean, presumably we have to defer to findings the court made that the tape showed certain things and uh, his co-defendants testified as to certain things. Those are findings of fact, right? That Correct, we would defer to. But that's different than a, a statement that this was the direct result. Correct. Because, okay, that's the point you're trying to make. Correct. Um, and again, just to sort of take this from an abstract discussion about the restitution statutes, we have to remember here that Mr. Bocher was in fact charged with arson. This case was submitted to the jury and a jury did not find him guilty, declined to find him guilty of the arson. And so to sentence him to restitution for that crime seems to violate um, certain, or at least uh, sort of impress upon certain uh, constitutional principles. Uh, now, the, the other thing we have well, to... Well, counsel, you haven't made a constitutional argument here, have you? Well, in, in our... Um, if this court were to find that the statute is ambiguous, which we are arguing it is not, um, our argument is that we would nevertheless prevail because our uh, interpretation of the restitution statutes does not implicate constitutional principles. Um, so the, the, the state asks that this court adopt a preponderance of the evidence standard, which this court has never done before uh, when deciding whether or not the district court possesses the legal authority to order restitution in a case. Um, this court very clearly stated in Gavnik that that is not the applicable standard. And so if the court doesn't have any further questions, I would ask that the court uh, reverse the district court's restitution order in this case and remand uh, for resentencing. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you, Counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.